Right now, you're listening to a recent rehearsal of Adam's Run, an opera being produced by Renegade Opera this September 7th through 10th. I'm Jenna Yokoyama, and on this episode of Stage and Studio on Arts Watch, we're going to take a look at this Portland-based opera company and its approach to opera production, as well as talk about their upcoming performance of Ruby Fulton's opera, Adam's Run, a dark comedy about climate change. Opera was founded in 2020, and I have their artistic director here, Danielle Jagelski, to talk to me here about their upcoming season, about their company in general, and to talk about Adam's Run, which will be at Shaking the Tree Theater September 7th through 10th. My guest, Danielle Jagelski, in addition to being the artistic director of Renegade Opera, is a conductor and composer. She's also an associate conductor of Protestra, a producer at First Nations Performing Arts, and a mentor for Girls Who Conduct. Recent engagements include Temple University Opera Theater, City Lyric Opera in New York City, assistant conductor for the Estates Theater in Prague, and she has been an arranger, conductor, and composer for Renegade Opera. She has performed concerts of world premieres at the Manhattan School of Music, New Music Manhattan, and with the National Music and Global Culture Society at Lincoln Center. As a composer, her music has been heard throughout the United States, Canada, and Germany with ensembles such as Hear Us, Hear Them Ensemble, New Native Theater, The American Patriots Project, and Chicago's Artemis Singers. She's an enrolled member of the Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabe tribes, with mixed heritage from Polish-Irish settler communities. Danielle is a fierce advocate for equity in musical spaces and has presented her research on Indigenous representation and mixed-race theory throughout the U.S. and Canada. Danielle Jagelski, thank you so much for joining me on Station Studio on ArtsWatch. Thank you for having me. So, Danielle, you're one of the founding members of Renegade Opera. Can you talk a bit about what inspired the founding of the company and what its beginnings were like. Yeah, absolutely. So Renegade was kind of the brainchild of Maddie Ross, Elliot Menard, and myself. So we were all young artists at the at the time, and we were doing a lot of young artist programs, which is a thing in opera where basically singers go to pay to do a role to get experience. And that's something that's pretty unique to opera and honestly pretty inequitable. And all of our experiences through these young artist programs and what I saw working with these singers as an assistant conductor at that time, we were like, okay, with the quality of these and the experience they're getting at a lot of these programs that are actually affordable for people, we could just put that money and do our own shows and give ourselves opportunities. And so that's really what it came to. And we decided to make Renegade like an immersive and exploratory company because we feel like there's so much that opera has to give and that a lot of the general public think that it's just Mozart, Verdi, Puccini and don't know that it's actually this like really wonderful mix of all these different art forms that come from theater and music theater and design and of course like classical composition and also different types of music uh, in the world. And so we just really wanted to create something that was for us but also was for the 
the industry moving forward and for our friends and for the Portland community, which is, you know, Portland's always down for <laughs> for something new <laughs> and something exciting. So we knew it would be a, a good thing to start here. So your mission statement very much reflects the founding that you were just talking about. And when I read your mission statement, I noticed its specificity and its intentionality. And I'm just going to read it here real quick. Renegade Opera is committed to promoting institutional reform in the performing arts community through the creation of accessible and immersive opera. We strive to support local artists and center traditionally underrepresented voices through ethical producing practices. We curate a collective space for creation and discussion of opera's impact in Portland and beyond. And what struck me about that is that it's so much more of a community-driven statement rather than just um, like a statement that treats opera as an art in a bubble. And so how does that approach shape how you produce your shows, how you raise money, how you hire, you know, all the things that go into running an opera company? Yeah. So for us, opera, we also felt exactly the same, like that it was just in a bubble that, okay, you have opera, we do it the same. Or if they're doing it, quote unquote, different, it's like, is it really that different? <laughs> because of all the practices and the gatekeeping and the, and honestly, like the money that it takes to put on the type of productions that are stereotypically operatic. And so, of course, we had to come back to our community because that is what is going to support us. And I think what we found is one of the elements of traditional opera that we didn't like was that it doesn't really serve the community. The audiences aren't expanding to new demographics or demographics at all, like culture, class, race, age. And we were like, okay, we love this art form. How can we make it in a way that people actually want to come? And so we looked at our community and we said, okay, who do we have here? We have tons of theater people. We have a, a puppeter. <laughs> we have, um, of course, tons of musicians and that are experienced in all different types of styles. So our approach, we always primarily put the community, like our performing community, as well as our audience at the forefront. So we really want people to feel welcome in our space, whether they're performing with us or coming to see our shows or supporting, volunteering, and so on. And part of that for us is providing paid opportunities. And um, one thing I'm really proud of with Renegade is that we are a part-time company. Like me and the core team, we volunteer almost all of our time. And that's in order to pay the artists. Like even though we're not able right now to pay what we'd like to, to pay, <laughs> but we provide high quality music and like a professional level performance for performers that are doing this part-time that also have a bunch of different jobs, as we all do as freelancers. And that was a really important part of starting the equity because, yeah, you can bring in all these other people, but if it's not sustainable for them and if they aren't invested and it's not, it's not if it's not important to them, then it, then it won't survive. And so I think we come from a very person-based way of producing and we try to always be listening. Like we just recently had a renegade retreat is what we called it for our creative company and for our leadership team and our board to analyze, okay, what have we done? What can we do better? Where do we want to go? And I think that's something really unique for a kind of like quote unquote grassroots company and perhaps even for larger like tiered companies. And so I think that's, yeah, that's something we really pride on. And that's how we really move our mission forward is by listening to what people want. And so our repertoire is diverse, our casts are diverse, and we put in a lot of work in 
choosing what to do and how to do it well. So something you've mentioned is the audience. And in your mission statement, you talk about having an immersive experience. And if people haven't seen any of your shows, it is definitely that. Uh, So can you talk about that immersive experience? What has that looked like? Where did that idea come from? Yeah, so immersive to us is actually pretty broad. So I think on the surface, when you think about immersive, you really think about interactive, right? It's like, oh, the performers are talking to you. You're you're perhaps not seated in a traditional theater venue or layout. And so you think about more interactive, like, okay, performers are around you. But however, there are many other ways of immersion, right? So it's like, where are we placing the sound? Like, how are we engaging with the audience even from far away? And how do they affect the story? And so I think that's really where the immersive element comes is that we want to take the energy that the audience is giving us and meld that into the show. And so, for example, for our previous last year's performance, we did Tito, which was a revamped version of Mozart's La Clemenza di Tito with an all-femme cast and, you know, all cut and abridged in English and everything. And halfway through the show, the audience was asked to vote. So the story of the show is that there basically there's a president Somebody tries to assassinate them, and then the person who tried to assassinate them, it's about like, okay, are they given clemency or are they sent to jail? (laughs) And well, in the real story, it's like, are they beheaded? But, you know, we have a (laughs) we had a different story. And so during the intermission, the audience was asked to be like, okay, do you want to see do you you want to see this or you want to see that? And so we had formed two different endings. So it's that one was kind of a choose your own adventure type thing. And then our first large production, Orfeo Adiudodice, we just called it Orfeo. That one was still during much heavier COVID times. And so we had to think about different ways to get the audience to truly be in the world rather than looking into the world. And so with that, we chose an outdoor venue for safety, but also because that allowed the audience to come to the performance space like through a journey. So we had, rather than having them walk the most direct way to their seats, we had them have to go around this garden and we had them have to hear these things that are going on. And we start the show sometimes in ways that are a little bit unconventional. Like in that show, most audiences didn't know that the show was starting and that was intentional because we want to like build the world around them and build the world with them. That's so cool. (laughs) Thanks. I can imagine that that causes or creates a space where there's a lot of buy-in by the audience because they're not just a passive audience. They can feel like they're part of the drama. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's the goal. (laughs) Sometimes I I think that opera in general can often feel like there's that fourth wall between you and the stage and that can be just so incredibly massive. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think the uh, maybe what people see the word immersive or they they think about like, okay, breaking the fourth wall and they think sort of like, oh, no, this is going to be like how it is at a comedy show when the comedian calls you out and then you're like, I don't know what to say. They ask you like what your job is and you're like, I don't know. (laughs) And but we've tried to think a lot deeper than that. Like, of course, there's like there can be like a slapstick immersion or like a sign like laugh now, like kind of thing. And that that's pretty funny. And that's an easy way in. But it's also the fourth wall can be broken in so many other ways. And that's something that's very interesting to us and the different ways that we can bring different people in. Because 
everybody notices different things as a person, depending on your background or even just how you're feeling that day. And we're really lucky to have performers that are that are extremely flexible like that and that are really working to create a different performance and a different audience experience for everybody that comes to the shows. So in the beginning, you were talking a bit about, you know, opera and how diverse of an art form it can be, but that people don't often realize that. And your mission statement, you talk about opera's impact in Portland and beyond. And so I'm wondering, what is Renegade Opera's approach to opera in sharing that relevance, you know, relevance that's specifically to Portland? Yeah. So opera really, like if you really break it down and think of it, it's just music theater, right? Like a question people often ask is like, oh, well, what's the difference between opera and musical theater? And you're like, okay, you have a, a different style of singing, sure. But also there's often more like classical, quote unquote, singing in musicals, or there's more musical-ish singing in opera. And when people think of opera, yeah, they think of they think of more the classical style opera, the romantic operas. But if you break it down, it's really like music theater. And so what I think is cool about opera and even just the name is that the name, we can we can kind of think about using that as a silver lining that people think of like, oh, opera, we're just thinking about, you know, whatever, Tosca. <laughs> and so we can kind of grab those audiences and be like, yeah, come to this opera because you're going to hear this unique style of singing and these like classically trained singers and these instrumentalists. But we also have like the, the theater community or the musical theater community based on like who we have as our designers and our directors. And so I think we bring together those different communities and they can see that it's such a multifaceted art form that really is limitless in a way like opera because of its kind of like nebulous definition it really provides you with a lot of freedom if you choose to do it like you know you can you can follow whatever conventions you want but really it's like it is a nebulous word like what is opera and other than just like okay there's singing and there's theater <laughs> that's your only stipulations of, of if it's an opera and so i think for the portland community it, i i think it it can be, really be helpful in bridging the gap between somebody who is going to the organ symphony or the portland opera and then also somebody that's has seen their shows at shaking the tree theater or goes to portland center stage or whichever it is. And so we can really bridge that gap with these shows that we do. And I think that's something super unique about the smaller companies and like the freedom we have, because we don't have to answer to some of the large funders. We don't have to answer to a board that's been placed for 70 years, you know? So we, it really provides a lot of freedom. And through that freedom, we can choose to like bring the connection through the different musical and theatrical and artistic communities in Portland. You know, earlier we were talking about the difference between your audience and the audience of a traditional house, say like, you know, like Portland Opera, and that your audience tends to skew younger. And my initial thoughts were like, well, okay, maybe you're talking about topics that are more relevant to say younger people. But even when I look at the bigger houses today, they are trying to, you know, tackle the more relevant issues, but it doesn't necessarily then translate to like younger or newer audiences, which I feel like is the number one discussion I hear often, you know, when we're talking about opera, um, you know, how do we draw on a younger audience? So even though you're tackling the same issue, what is it that is different 
about Renegade Opera that you feel like is pulling in this younger audience? Is it because you have younger artists, which doesn't work out at say like bigger houses because they have young artist programs, but that doesn't mean the audience is then younger. So what do you think is that like tangible or structural difference? That's a great question. You know, I don't, I don't truly know the answer. I know there's like a lot of amazing and super smart people at the big houses trying to solve that problem for them. But I guess I can tell you what, what works for us is that like our leadership team is of a younger demographic and we're passionate about what, about what we want to do. And so of course, like our views, we can communicate them in a way that people in our same age demographic can, can also relate to. I think that might be a big part of it, but also I think when it comes to bigger houses doing, yeah, like these thought provoking works, which are, which are awesome, you know, like Portland Opera did like Thumbprint. That's such a beautiful work. Their, their persona is still that they're doing the big grand classic operas, which are wonderful. Like Rusolka is like freaking awesome, (laughs) you know? And so, and that's still the amount, the huge lion's share of their effort and funding is still going to the grand operas. And I'm not going to say that's right or wrong, but when you put a quote unquote thought provoking work or a work by a artist of color or a woman, and it's still in the background, people don't, they'll go and they'll enjoy the work, I think, but they aren't going to be like, oh yeah, this is like the investment of this big house, you know, like people look at Renegade and they know our investment is in like very high quality works that are thought provoking and reimagined and for the audience and for the community and still at a professional level. And so I think for the bigger houses, perhaps it's it's hard to live in two worlds. And that's something that is a bit of a privilege of Renegade. We don't have to, we're creating our own world. Yeah. The whole people want structural change, but how do you do it? You have to like the old structure that founded you it's the never ending question so which you know which as you were saying is what is a you know like a benefit for you all that you have this kind of fresh start and you can do whatever it is that you want to create uh, without needing to make sure to fill the like thousand seat house every time Absolutely. It's a hard place for the structure has definitely been built, built around that. So I do not envy the leaders of the big houses. Like that's probably one of the hardest jobs in the world to try to have the art form in that way survive. And that also is sad to me, you know, like I, some of my, my, why I got into opera is because my dad's boss was a big opera lover and he took me to a matinee at Boise Opera. And I was so amazed by these, like these big voices and this big orchestra. And so the grandness of opera is also something that is very unique to it. Like opera houses are, the the big opera houses are way bigger than the big Broadway houses, for example. And so the grandness of it is also something that's really cool. That's not, that's obviously not what Renegade is interested in performing or, or doing. But I do think it, it's such a difficult place for the big houses because I, I do think what they're doing has value. But it does. They know, we all know that it has to be reimagined in a way. Something else has to happen to like let the art firm survive in that way. But I'm happy that like we have a lot of 
support and a, re- a really great relationship with Portland Opera. And they, as a big house, do really support the, the smaller, more experimental companies in Portland. And so I think I think that's something that's wonderful that that they do too. I, like I think they're very they're a company that 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 knows what's up. <laughs> you know, they like know that okay, Renegade's doing an Adams Run that's probably more effective than a, than a Portland Opera doing an Adams Run. But like we know we're not going to do Rusolka. And so, and a lot of our singers sing in the Portland Opera chorus. You know, and so yeah, you know, it's a uh, <laughs> it's hard world out there for big classical music, and I think it's sad for everyone. I don't, I don't have like, um, I don't have the answers. I don't think anybody does, but I hope it survives in, in many of these multifaceted ways. I, th- I think it's important for, for it to expand, you know. So you've now had, or you're in your fourth season now? Yes. Mm-hmm. And so now that you've worked with, you know, all these artists and you've been on the administrative side and the artistic side, do you have any takeaways from Renegade Opera's approach to production? Is this something that you feel bigger houses can use? Do you feel as though this is a model that's working? Yeah, I mean, I think it's working really well. <laughs> like we've grown more than we could imagine just in these four years. And the support has been so touching from our audiences and our supporters of all kinds. And I think what we found is that we knew what we could offer and we knew what we couldn't offer. And especially at the beginning, like we're paying all our artists, but we know that it's not enough to sustain them fully. And so we, again, like put person first. And so we're like, okay, how do we, how can we talk to our artists and why would they want to work with us if it's not for the money? And that's because we treat them well. You don't have to have your schedule. You don't have to be available like eight to midnight every single day just to be in this show. And I think that that's something that larger organizations could definitely take that approach because it takes a little more on the on the producing side, of course. You know, you have to have people's schedules. That stuff has to be organized. But really, uh, I think Renegade, one of our big strengths is like, we at the beginning, me and Maddie and Elliot were always talking like, okay, if we build the house, people will come. And so we just have to have a really strong structure of like, okay, so people know where to go, they know what to do. And so they don't have to stress about that. They just know like, yeah, I'm here to do my art. I'm here to do what I do best. And we will provide that structure for them. And I think that's something that could really elevate like music and performance at all levels. If the artists feel more supported, then that's really what's going to that's really what's going to give good performance and that's really what's going to give the freedom for creativity to grow and that's also what's going to give access to people who haven't traditionally had access to to any of these art forms and that's really <laughs> what like innovation is about right like how are we supposed to have something new if we don't have a new viewpoint how are we supposed to have something new if we aren't doing something differently and so i think it's like it took experiments and it took a couple seasons to kind of get, okay, like we built this house this way. Ooh, we need to have an addition here. Like, oh, we actually don't need that. And, but our productions have just been getting bigger and bigger and more successful and more varied. And, and I think that's because the artists feel supported as humans. (laughs) And so they're able to, able to do what they want to do, what they, what they can offer to us. Yeah. And what we can offer to them. In previous seasons, you've done works by Mozart and Gluck. And then this season you have a whole new list of works, literally new works, Adam's Run, which is a fairly new work. And then you have 
American Patriots, a new work coming up in November. You know, what made you decide to kind of, you know, move away from, I guess, what is seen as the more traditional opera and into more new music? Yeah, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say we're moving away. It's more like, okay, let's let's try something different. So for sure, I'm sure we'll go back to a reimagined version of an of an older opera at some point. Because we also love that music, you know, like we were raised up on that music and kind of the impetus for Renegade 2 is that we wanted to do that music our own way. And but part of that uh, as well is and able to do that old music in a new way. You need to do new music in an old way. You know, like my teachers have always said, they're like, okay, perform old music like it's new and perform new music like it's old. And I think that that's an important part of any company and of any artist is to be exposed and to really dig into all different genres and eras and to really know what's happening. And also to be relevant about like what's going on and how can we how can we work with more artists how can we like get more inspiration like what can we do like everybody has so much genius to share and it's hard to sometimes find the container to for everybody to come together and and to do it and so that's what we're really trying to provide and with the new works that we've chosen this year we really because we had public domain and, and like really canon works before, we were like, okay, we're in the financial place to do them. So that's a big hurdle for a lot of companies. Because if you do a Mozart opera, it's free. <laughs> yeah, it, it's free online. You can do it. And like, of course, like me and the team, we rearrange and we do all that work ourselves. But to do a new opera, it takes a little bit more monetary investment. And it does take a little bit more time. And so I think why we moved to new works this year is to stretch ourselves a little bit to see like, okay, can we do this? And I mean, like, hell yeah, yeah, we can. It's like great. (laughs) And also part of it too is Renegade. We want to showcase the artists we know that are amazing. And with Adam's Run, which is your upcoming show, it's your season opener. So that's, that's kind of really soon, September 7th through the 10th. It's going to be at Shaking the Tree Theater and with stage direction by Mallory Meostrofi, and you as music director and conductor. If people haven't heard of this opera, Adam's Run, it is, well, the one line description of it is that it's a dark comedy about climate change. Can you give us kind of a short synopsis about what Adam's Run is about? Yeah. So Adam's Run is definitely in the absurdist genre, and it is the libretto by Baynard Woods is so wacky, but and also so clever. I love Ruby Fulton's score, so <laughs> we know it's amazing. And it is about Julie Shore, who is an existentialist weather woman and a televangelist, Billy Noble. And they are the top two shows on TV. And they their story is being told by Dana Daring, who was a producer for Julie Shore. And it's told in retrospect by Dana Daring and that Julie Short and Billy Noble decide to come together, even though they have completely opposing views. They end up falling in love. And then Billy's followers, since he's the televangelist preacher, don't like that because Julie Shore is the complete opposite of their ideology. And you see, you'll see what happens at the end. <laughs> but the other main character in Adam's Run is Rodney Richards, who leads kind of the, the protest of Billy Noble's 
followers. And he's a very interesting character because he actually doesn't sing in classical style at all. He's played by Matthew Rowning, and they also play guitar. So Matthew is um, accompanying themselves on guitar and singing in definitely more of a rock style than an opera style. So that's very exciting. (laughs) And so the story, yeah, is about climate change because the hurricane of the century is happening. Billy Noble is building an ark, like a Noah's Ark, in, in preparation for the end of the world. and But both of them are competing for the audiences to watch them. So they're still concerned about, oh my God, the audiences, we need the audiences even though the world is ending through climate collapse. And they come together and then you'll have to come see the show to see what happens. <laughs> now, someone who's gotten to work with the libretto, has the messaging or just interacting with the work shaped your opinions about climate change and media and the way we look at it or the way we present it, you know, even as artists? Yeah, yeah. I I think a lot of what Baynard and Ruby were putting into, particularly the character of Julie Shore, was almost this like nihilistic view of, of the disaster that's happening now. Or a lot of the commentary of what perhaps the opera is saying is that, okay, there are these options of there are many options but these are two options of how do we deal with this impending crisis and this doom that we know and we have julie shore who is still just like i'm the existentialist weather woman like i need the most viewers i don't care like she's laughing about the hurricane of the century like she's laughing about the fires then the 120 degrees in new hampshire you know and then you have billy noble who has created a following a culty following around building an ark in preparation for the next great deluge is the next great flood so i think it's a big kind of commentary on that and i think people perhaps can come to the show and see themselves in a spectrum of okay where am i with dealing with this climate change do i see another fire another hurricane another disaster another mudslide happening and am i like whatever, or, and like, what can you do about it? You know, like in a way, I think trying to put yourself in other people's shoes, like, and seeing the extremes of two sides can really be enlightening of where you are in between them. And also what's important to, to actually do to take action. Do you feel like there's any particular strengths about the art form of opera when it comes to having discussions around things like climate change? Yeah, I think opera, well, like all like all theater and all music, it can bring you in with just its aesthetics, right? You're like, okay, cool. I know I'm going to see these awesome singers and these awesome instrumentalists and this awesome theater going on. And so your ears are already open. And then so you can, it allows you to, to already be there, to already be open and to already listening. And then of course, you're going to hear the text. Of course, you're going to see the subtext within the play or within the score. And you're going to see what the creators are trying to bring to you if, if, if people are doing it well, which hopefully we are. (laughs) And so I think that opera is a unique way of addressing problems or just bringing them to light because you can go there you know you're not expecting a lecture you know you know you're not there to kind of get a talking to like you're there to be entertained too but I don't think that it's a I don't think that you either go to be entertained or you go to be educated like those aren't things that are 
that have to be one or the other. Like it can be both. And I think that's really the mark of a good artistic work is that you're there and you're, you're, you're struck in an artistic way, not necessarily like entertained and what we think of like, haha, happy entertained, but like, you know, artistically, like you're struck by the art of it. You're struck by the, the, the senses that are, that are being pulled. And you're also, your brain, like your thinking brain is also engaged. And that's really the mark of a good work. Danielle Jagelski, thank you so much for joining me on Stage and Studio on Artswatch. Thank you so much. This was super fun. You can see Renegade Opera's upcoming performance of Adam's Run September 7th through 10th at Shaking the Tree Theater in Southeast Portland. Tickets and more info about Renegade Opera can be found at renegadeopera.org, where you can also see full videos of some of their previous shows, so check it out. And where can people follow Renegade Opera on social media? Yeah, we're just Renegade Opera PDX uh, across all platforms. Yeah, we hope to meet you soon at Adam's Run. (laughs) And that's it for this episode of Sage and Studio. Special thanks to Renegade Opera for letting us record some of their rehearsal there, which featured singers Madeline Tron, Quentin Gardner, Lisa Neer, and the cast of Adam's Run. You can find more information about Stage and Studio on our website at stageandstudio.org or at orartswatch.org. I'm Jenny Yokoyama. Thanks so much for listening. Oh.